Well, good morning, Menlo Church. So good to see you. Welcome to a very, very special weekend in the life of our community. From our campus here in Menlo Park to our campuses in uh, San Mateo, Mountain View, Saratoga, to those of you joining us online, we are beginning a celebration of 150 years of God's faithfulness to this growing group of people. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. See, uh, one of the things that I love about our church that's in multiple locations is that there's this variety of buildings and ministry partnerships, not just in the Bay Area, but beyond, even around the world, is that it's very easy for us to avoid uh, the error that's about making a celebration like this around these old monuments, or for us to be able to make this about buildings or campuses or even pastors, that actually this celebration is about Jesus. It's about the enduring community of Jesus followers who have had one mission over many generations. See, there are times when things have been growing exponentially, and then there have also been times where it feels like just enduring has been this great accomplishment. God has remained faithful all along the way. I also want to reiterate the chance that you have to help extend this movement from those who have come before to be a part of this incredible community as a, not just a consumer that finds this convenient or helpful, but as a contributor to a community that will be remembered as helping us even as we finish our financial year together that ends at the end of this month. You can learn more. You can even give at menlo-church/give. Uh, and your end of year, end of fiscal year gift, it'll help us to make an even greater impact as we wrap up this ministry year and begin a new one in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends and coworkers in the Bay Area and beyond in ways that will not just outlive all of us individually, but for all of us to extend this movement that we're a part of from the last 150 years. It's also a way, to be honest, for you and me to make our lives really count uh, beyond maybe what they might otherwise be settling for. Over the course of our time together, I wanna share a little bit about why this milestone means so much, about what we're doing to commemorate it and how to get involved. But before we dive in, I'm gonna pray for us. And if you've never been here before or never heard me speak, before I speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that, especially on a weekend like this one, is we think about 150 years of faithfulness, that we stand on the shoulders of giants, of men and women who have come before us. And that should humble us, that God used them and God can use us if we'll just humble ourselves together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that for 150 years, well, there are so many different things that could compete for our time and our attention, for our loyalty and devotion, that God, there is a group of people that have been Jesus followers at Menlo that have continued to press forward. Would you put inside of us, God, instill in us the passion that reminds us the legacy that we have in this community and in Jesus followers who have followed you for 2,000 years. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get started, I want to tell you about my grandmother-in-law, which is Alyssa, my wife's grandma, Anne. Grandma Anne is an incredible person who uh, just this last May turned 102 years old. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. She's going to get her driver's license just around the corner, I think. She's just about old enough. 
Uh, she reminds people every day, kind of her life mantra is to count your blessings just over and over and over again. She tells people, count your blessings, count your blessings, which I guess at 102, you have a lot of blessings to count, right? Amazing. She walks around all the time. She walks everywhere. She has lots of friends and folks that she stays in connection with. Uh, she only stopped working as a bookkeeper when she turned 96. So... I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty lazy. So the thing is, not all of us have those kinds of genes, right? Like I'm married to someone who has those kinds of genes. I do not have those. But there is a false idea that I think Grandma Ann sort of shows us how false it can be, that sometimes people and certainly places, the older that they get, the less effective they become. That's definitely not true with Grandma Ann. And it's definitely not true of Menlo Church. Now, it may seem like 150 years as a church is a very long time, and it is. But actually, 150 years as a church is just a drop in the bucket of the 2,000 years that we're a part of a movement of Jesus followers from the very first century. The cultural crises that we can sometimes feel are irreversible and will inevitably bring the collapse and destruction of this movement of Jesus followers. This is not the first time in human history that we have felt that before. As a matter of fact, with 13 members in 1873, Menlo moved onto its first one-acre property in downtown Menlo Park. At the time, that portion of property in downtown Menlo Park, you ready? It was valued at $500. I'm not sure. I think $500 would probably get you a cup of coffee in downtown Menlo Park these days, right? <laughs> the first building with 160 seats that was part of Menlo Church was built for $4,000. That'd probably get you the pastry to go with your coffee today, right? It's amazing to think that this small group of people took that kind of a risk at that time for their neighborhood, for this growing and changing area. <clears throat> Our region has been a place of pioneering ideas, innovation, and exploration for a very long time. And this group of people hoped to bring the message of Jesus to a place that looked much different at the time than it does now. But we would not exist as a church today if they didn't believe that this growing community, that this changing place could be reached with the hope of heaven. See, they had divine habits of sacrifice and service for the good of others. And those habits were in their DNA from this 2,000-year-old Jesus movement that they were a part of. When church is just a hobby, it's easy to look for the most convenient option and consume it until another convenient option comes along and then switch and go to that convenient option. When church, or more specifically the gospel though, is what's really driving us, then the gospel actually brings habits, not a hobby. I'm gonna start by giving you a definition of the gospel because it's a church word uh, that we say a lot but sometimes don't always define. And so let's start there. As basic as the question seems, let's ask the question, what is the gospel? Some people will define it as the Bible or the stories of Jesus' life that you find in the New Testament of your Bible, which is a little confusing because they actually are called the Gospels. Um, but the Gospel, the term, actually comes from a Greek word, euangelion. It literally means good news. But in the context of faith in Jesus, it's the too-good-to-be-true news of Jesus. The Apostle Paul went from a persecutor of the early church in the first century to a vocal and impactful leader in it 
when he came to realize that this message of Jesus, the gospel, really was true and that Jesus, the person it was built upon, was alive again. He answers the question of what is the gospel this way. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The too good to be true news of Jesus is something that Paul is not ashamed of because it actually is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Let that sink in for a minute. Even if you're not a Christian, you're skeptical, you're just trying to figure out if this is something worth your time. Even for you, you know that the standards that you even have in your own heart and life, you are missing. We fail our own expectations and standards. And therefore, this idea of salvation from the judgment we all feel some sense of that is coming, that salvation is found only in the person and work of Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, it might all make sense. You get it. This is kind of what undergirds your personal experience of faith. But if you haven't, let me paint a picture for you. God made humankind in his image with infinite dignity, value, and worth. No matter what you think about God today, he loves you. And he made you to have a relationship with him and to flourish forever in that relationship. That was the original design. The problem came when humanity chose to rebel. And the problem for many of us, right, is that we realized we kept choosing to rebel. And when we rebel against God's will and ways, it's what the Bible calls sin. And rather than simply giving up on us, which God absolutely could have done, he had a plan. He'd always had a plan to win us back perfectly and permanently by sending his one and only son, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice in your place. See, when we understand that, we understand that there's this invitation. And the reason that we know this invitation is true, this person and work of Jesus can be relied upon is because what he claimed to be able to do of coming back from the dead, he really did. History has shown over and over again this movement connected to an actual event 2,000 years ago, demonstrating his power over sin and death and that our forever relationship with God has actually been restored through relationship with him. So when we turn from our ways of rebellion, when we accept his gift of forgiveness, and when we choose to follow him, we are given the real abundant life that we were made for today, even in a broken and hurting world, and the eternal life that we have waiting for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't figure it out. We can't pay it back. Our life becomes an expression of gratitude as we live more and more into the power of the gospel. That's what it means to know and follow Jesus. That's Paul's point. The gospel was first revealed to the Jewish people, like just in sequence. That's who learned about it first. And now, 2,000 years later, it has spread around the world. Paul says righteousness is revealed in our lives by the power of the gospel through our faith in God. It's not a momentary transaction. It's transformation that God wants to do over our whole life. Maybe that's a great refresher for you. But maybe for you, that's brand new. Maybe you've been in church for a while, and that's a brand new idea. I would just encourage you to think about that. You may not know this about me, but I'm a picky eater. If you'd hold back your laughter for just a second. Um, what I say, though, is I just have a really refined palate. 
um, very, very refined. But as I've gotten older, I find myself eating food I wouldn't have eaten earlier in life because especially earlier in life, you know, we experience this with our kids. They say, I don't like it. And they actually haven't even tried it. They have no idea whether or not they like it. They don't like how it looks, which if you're a kid in here and you feel that way, I get you. We're together in this, but you have to taste it, right? To really know whether you like it or not. And I would say that's how our faith works too. This premise, right? When we consider the gospel it's not enough to merely intellectually understand it, to go, do I, does this make sense to me? We're actually determined whether or not we will place the weight of our life on it. That's what Paul means when he quotes this famous verse from the Hebrew scriptures, when he says, the righteous shall live by faith, that you and I will decide to build who we are, our identity, the decision-making framework of our entire life on the person, work, and will of God. So this idea that you and I would live our life by grace through faith, empowered by the gospel to be saved forever, that's why a group of people started Menlo Church nearly 150 years ago. It's why even after many generations, we still have the same mission as a church. This wasn't a hobby for them. It was a call. It was sacrificial. It took a risk. And when a church is established, it's easy for it to be a welcoming community, right? Because without that risk, without that welcoming, it doesn't exist. But it's also easy as churches sort of become established and are around for a while for it to go from that welcoming community to a closed commune where less and less attention is given to the people who aren't in the community yet. Menlo 150 is a chance for us to remember that we're a part of a legacy that people chose to remember people who were close to them and far from God and do something about it. They chose to take a risk for others because they knew that the gospel brings habits, not a hobby. Church might be a comfortable hobby for you, something that you attend or check out when it's comfortable and convenient for you. But the habits and the life change that come from the gospel will never let church as a hobby be enough. Even if you need that reminder today, even if God is himself going to wake that back up in you. As we begin a celebration this year of Menlo 150, another question that we might be asking could be, is celebrating important? Is this just a box that we have to check to say, hey, thanks God, 150 years? Well, the short answer is celebrating is very important. And this idea goes back further than 150 years, further than 2,000 years. This idea of celebration has been central to the people of God for their entire existence. During the time when Samuel was a prophet for God in the Hebrew scriptures for all of Israel, someone that God used to speak to his people on his behalf, God allowed Israel to survive an outnumbered battle with the Philistines, and Samuel gave us a voice to it. They had lots of reasons to keep going, lots of very credible reasons why they shouldn't stop, but they stopped because one of their divine habits was celebration. Samuel set up a stone at the site of the victory and he named it Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. Israel would often use physical objects as Ebenezers to remember God's faithfulness to them at a specific moment in their life as a people. Maybe you have something like that. Maybe you have a framed degree in your office, or if you have a business, maybe the first dollar that you ever received as a business. Maybe for you, there's an object or a keepsake that you have that shows you, you know what? God did show up. In that time, I wasn't sure he was faithful. There are ways that we remember key moments 
in our lives. Times of celebration can do that for all of us. It's not just about, by the way, what happened before. It's not just about looking back and saying, God, I'm so thankful that you did this 150 years ago or 50 years ago or for you maybe just a few years ago. It's about the idea that when we celebrate how God has been faithful in the past, we can be confident that he will be faithful in the future. Menlo has a lot of Ebenezer's that we want to celebrate over the course of this year. And in a second, I'll tell you a little bit more about how we're going to do that. But there was a time in Menlo's history, uh, shortly after World War II, when because of redevelopment in downtown Menlo Park, there was a bill that Menlo Church needed to pay to the city for $9,000. Now, at the time, Menlo's entire annual budget was $9,000. Isn't that unbelievable to think about? But because of the massive impact that Menlo was having in its community already then, people jumped in to help. As a matter of fact, nine other churches, city officials like government leaders and businesses, they formed something called Unity in Community. And they said, Menlo Church, we got it. We we are going to go door to door so that we can raise the money to pay the city for what you owe so that you can keep doing the good work that you're doing. Can you imagine? Here's the thing, they couldn't either until God did it. And the miracle of that moment, it reminds us more than 70 years later that those kinds of miraculous things that God did, he is still capable of. That celebration, it matters because it reminds us of how God has shown up and how God can still show up. Celebration can pull us out of the cynical spirals that our moment often draws us so quickly into. So with that in mind, let me give you a little bit of a sense of how we will be celebrating Menlo 150 as a church, specifically this fall. First, we are going to record stories of people at Menlo and the way that God has used the ministries and people of Menlo to make a difference in their life called Menlo Moments. During certain services throughout our fall, we'll show you part of their story, and then we'll have the long form of their story available online, podcasts, and videos, so that you can continue to learn along the way. Second, we're going to launch a serving campaign of Menlo Serves, where all of us will work to serve the people and places that we live and love as a way to let our communities know that we have no intention of stopping the legacy of being for the Bay and beyond. This is going to launch in a couple months. And we will, uh, it'll run through the spring. We'll give you details as it begins to launch. And finally, mark on your calendars November 5th, because we are going to have an all-campus combined worship gathering and celebration with food and activities and music and a chance for us to learn some of how Menlo has arrived at where we are today and what God might do next. Registration is going to open soon. And when it does, all the details will come with it. But just mark that day on your calendar. You won't want to miss it. Maybe for you, you are new or newer to Menlo, and you're like, who qualifies for this, right? (laughs) I've got some good news for you. Even if it's your first time, even if you're not sure about faith in Jesus, you are exactly the kind of person that people over the last 150 years here at Menlo have been serving and sacrificing so that you could find and follow Jesus in this place. You are qualified to join us. I'd also encourage you, if you're a part of Menlo, to have many celebrations this year for what God has done in your life and in the life of your community. Maybe that's a celebration with your life group or a celebration with the team that you serve on. All of us are linked to people who have come before us that we can be thankful for. And all of us can celebrate 
And there may be more that that celebration holds for you in the present moment and the future than you realize by simply taking that step. We've had lots to think about and plenty that we've had to grieve individually, collectively, even nationally over the last few years. But this anniversary, I think, is worth celebrating because of God's continued faithfulness in the past and for the future. The other question I would want to answer for us today is a practical one, which is, do we need a third service? And if for some of you, you're like, I've been uh, like in a different part of the world this summer, Phil, what are you talking about, about a third service? <laughs> hey, we're launching a third service at all of our campuses at the end of September. And maybe you look around at your campus and you see some empty seats and you feel like shifting to a different service time is going to be inconvenient for you. And you're just wondering if we really even need to do this. And the short answer to this one kind of depends, right? If the gospel is a hobby for you, for your comfort and convenience, then we probably don't need to add a third service. As a matter of fact, adding one is going to make your hobby of church way less convenient. But if the gospel is something that God has used to put divine habits of sacrifice, service, and generosity in you for others, then we absolutely need a third service. If the gospel is true and really holds the power to save everyone in your life, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone at your workplace, everyone in your school, everyone in your family, don't you think becoming inconvenienced is the least you can do? The apostle Paul was faced with the same dilemma after he became a follower of Jesus. See, before he was a follower of Jesus, he had been living a very specific kind of way that he had also pressured others into living based on a very narrow interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. But the gospel turned his very serious religious hobby into gospel habits. He put it this way. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Instead of assuming others meet his demands and needs, he met theirs. Paul wasn't morally compromising or changing his theology. He was changing his approach. He did all of it, Gentiles and Jews, weak and strong, dirty and clean, so that people could be saved. How about you, Menlo Church? I think if Paul was writing this part as a part of Menlo today, he might say, for the early riser, I'll get up early. For the full 10 a.m. service at my campus, I'll attend 1130. For the young family, I'll serve in kids. I will change my routines because my habit is to adjust for the needs of others for the sake of the gospel. There's that word again. For years, I've had a friend named Jeff. Jeff's been married for more than 25 years. He's got a lovely wife and uh, some incredible daughters. Jeff, uh, in his day job, runs a national home building company, travels a lot, very, very busy life. But on the weekend, for many years, Jeff has served in kids. And you wouldn't think kind of looking at Jeff and thinking about what his normal routine looks like that this would be a part of his regular habit. 
It doesn't seem like it would be a fit. But here's the thing. He has served faithfully for many years, kids in church, and if you ask him why, he'll tell you that he remembers how fortunate he felt when people did it for his family. He knows the weight of being a parent, of juggling the workload needed each week, of just getting to church and how getting to church, it can sometimes feel overwhelming and a friendly face, a hot cup of coffee, somebody that really cares about your kids and students. It's the difference between a great start to the week ahead and an exhausting part of your weekend routine. Or my friend Jenny, who served coffee for years, and she doesn't really serve coffee just to provide good coffee for people. She actually uses it to build relationships with actually teenage high school girls with her daughter. She builds her volunteer teams with other high schoolers. And what looks like really hard work on the surface, she loves because it's a portal into her daughter's world and the friends of her daughter. See, sometimes hearing stories like these, it can seem overwhelming because we aren't sure where our people are, where we can start, what we can do to find our place like that. That's why we're doing the Find Your Spot Volunteer Fair today at all of our campuses. It was probably hard to miss on your way in wherever you're watching this today, and you were hoping that someone would explain it to you, so let me just do that. At your campus, at all of our campuses today, you will find people who are willing to talk to you and answer questions about what serving might look like and where you can find your spot here at Menlo to get involved and make a difference, especially as we prepare to launch a third service at the end of next month. There'll be a simple form that you can complete to get more information that I'd really encourage you to do. I also want to make sure you know you're not signing a blood oath, like you're just signing up to get more information. And so I would encourage you to get your questions answered, to sign up for more information, and then to pray. Pray that God would use you to make a difference in the lives of others. That just like there was a group of people who said yes to being involved, who said yes to making a difference for you, that you might find and follow Jesus in this place. You might be used by God to do that for someone else. If you've been at Menlo for a long time, this all probably feels normal to you. New services, new opportunities, new ways to serve, new ways to contribute so that new people can find and follow Jesus. It's hardwired into the DNA of our community, and it has been for 150 years. For others, this is new. You've been around for a while, but this has become a comfortable routine for you that doesn't require more than just showing up when it's convenient. And let me be clear, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm so glad that we've made it convenient and removed as many barriers for you to attend when you can as possible. But I also wanna make sure you know something. God has an agenda for you. I have an agenda for you. My agenda for you is that you would not settle for being a consumer. My agenda for you is that you would not settle for a comfortable, casual church hobby, because that is a terrible hobby, but that you would have inside of you a hunger given to you by God for greater potential impact and greater potential purpose in you. God made you for it. Menlo is not a monument to the past. It's a movement that only kept moving because people kept moving it. They kept serving the community, kept believing that the hope of heaven really could change the hearts of people. And it's our turn today to avoid church as a terrible hobby 
and to embrace gospel habits of sacrifice and service. It's our turn, just like it was the turn for people 50 years ago, 25 years ago, a decade ago, five years ago. Today, it's our turn. The first company in U.S. history to reach a billion-dollar value was a company called U.S. Steel. It's a company that was leading the way during the expansion of infrastructure in our nation, and it felt unshakable. Profits were growing at double-digit percentages decade after decade. But in recent decades, the steel industry has moved overseas, and infrastructure investment in our country has continued to fade. And like many aging companies, they did not perceive the threat of just coasting. They did not make the necessary adjustments and pivot. And it very well may cost them their actual existence in our moment. Look, we all know churches that are coasting. Probably some because they have no alternative, but we do. And if we are to avoid coasting into irrelevancy, it will not be with a new video, a new graphics package, a new social media campaign. We can't avoid coasting. You can. See, the greatest way for us to honor the legacy of the last 150 years is to realize that people who loved you before they knew your name by sacrificing and serving for the community, that the best way to honor them is to understand that it's now our turn to do the very same thing. For this new wave of men and women, boys and girls and students to call Menlo home, it's going to take you inviting them, you serving them, you caring about them, you actually investing. So will you help? Will you find your spot today? Will you get involved in the ministry of helping people find and follow Jesus in this place? Will this be more than a hobby for you, than a place that you consume, but that you might contribute? I hope so. Because as much as that neighbor, coworker, or classmate needs the gospel in their life, so do you. It's not just the message that you said yes to maybe all those years ago. It's the power and the habits that come with it every day for the rest of our life and the rest of eternity. Adding a third service at the end of September and gearing up with volunteers is because we are going to actually launch a series at the same time to help our communities explore faith and explore God. And we want to be ready. We want to have space for them. We want to have people ready to welcome them in so that more people can find and follow Jesus at all of our campuses. Let's pray that God uses us to do just that together. Would you pray with me? God, it's sobering to think about the fact that 150 years ago, there were men and women, boys and girls, students that were praying to you as Menlo Church for the kind of difference that they hoped that you would make in that time. And there was a desperation in their prayer that, God, if you don't show up, this won't happen. There was no organizational weight. There was no cash reserves. There were, God, there's a hunger that they had that I pray for in us today. A belief that they had that was, they were willing to take a risk that wasn't a club that they were a part of. It was a mission that they were on. It was a community they were a part of. God, help us to be a group of people that says, God, I don't want you to reach my friends. I need you to. God, I don't want you to reach my classmates. I need you to. God, I don't want you to change our city or our region. God, we need you to. And the only one who can is you. God, would you wake up in us the fire that can only come from you? Would you grow that fire in our community that we might see more people know you? And as a result of it, the bay and the beyond to have an impact like we've never seen before. We know you can do it. We pray that you will, and we know that it starts by believing you can do that in our lives right now. Would you do that? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.